Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of Daniel, chapter 8. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. Alexander made Babylon his capital city. By the age of 20, as I said, he gained control of all of Greece. And by the age of 33, he had conquered all of Europe and India and the entire known world. He started crying again. This guy, actually, you look in his history, he did a lot of whining. It's like 1-800-WHINE. This is Alexander. He's always whining, you know. And so here he is crying again, but this time he's crying because there's no other kingdoms to conquer. I have no other countries to conquer. There's no other kingdoms to conquer. There's nothing else for me to do. And so he got depressed. If you've been around here, you know that. He threw a huge drunken orgy party. Actually, it was a homosexual orgy party. And he went to the party. The first night, their parties lasted for days and weeks. They party hardy. And he got drunk that night, the first night of the party. He got drunk, walked across the field or whatever, headed back to the palace, and he got soaking wet in the rain. It was pouring out rain. Got back and told his guards, don't bother me. Nobody bother me. Don't come in and don't bother me. You know, he was drunk and stupor. He goes in and falls on the bed. And, of course, you don't bother the king. If the king says don't bother you, don't bother him. You don't bother him. So they didn't bother him. And they left him in there. He got a fever. And he died. And when they came in there to finally bother him, they found him dead. Incredible, incredible story. And so it's an interesting study now. Let me see if I can touch on some of these. It's an interesting study when you contrast Alexander the Great with Jesus Christ. Interesting study. Alexander... As we talked about, he enslaved the rebels and he annihilated people. The contrast is what? Jesus Christ freed rebels like us. Amen, saints? And Jesus didn't come to annihilate. The Bible says that he came to seek and to save that which was lost. You see the difference? Alexander was in competition with his father. Jesus was in submission to his father. John chapter 5 verse 30 says, I don't seek my own will, Jesus said, but the will of the one who sent me, the father. John chapter 8 verse 29, he said, I always do those things that please the father. You see, Jesus walked in submission, not competition, with his father, unlike Alexander. Alexander, the man made himself to be God. Jesus Christ, who was God, the Bible says, humbled himself and became a man. 
Philippians chapter 2, verse 7 says, but made himself, speaking of Jesus, of no reputation, taking the form of a servant and coming in the likeness of men. Alexander shed the blood of millions for his own glory. Jesus shed his own blood for the glorification and the salvation of others. You know, we often think, and I was thinking about this today, how we often think that Jesus died for the world. But you know, Jesus died for you. Jesus died for me. I, I think it's good to take the time, saints, to personalize that. Because, you know, if Jesus died for the world, that's one thing, and that's true. And that's, that's Bible. And he died for the world, for, for, all, for all those, the world. But when you say Jesus died for me, then that feel a whole lot more personal, tangible. Jesus died for me. And if it had just been me, he still would have come and died just for me. You see, when Alexander died, get this, thousands, thousands of people walked by to pay their respects, talking about contrast between Alexander and Jesus. Thousands of people walked by to pay their respects. When, when, when the greater than Alexander, Jesus Christ, when he died, guess what? He died alone, John. Not thousands, just one, John died alone. Alexander rode on a black stallion that he would conquer the world on. Jesus didn't come on a stallion. The Bible says he came on a donkey. You know that. Why? Because a donkey speaks of humility. Now see, Jesus in his first coming came on a donkey, which speaks of humility, that he humbled himself. Jesus comes saying, hey, I'm humble and, and I'm coming in humility because I love you, because I care about you. So you got to understand when he came the first time, he came riding through Jerusalem on a donkey. But the Bible says when Jesus comes back again, and listen, he will come back again. After tonight, I hope you're more convinced than ever that he will come back again. When he does come back again, he won't be coming on a donkey. When he comes back again, the Bible says he's going to come riding on on a white stallion. Woo! <laughs> That's great. He's not going to come back as a suffering servant or the suffering savior. He's going to come back as the conquering king. Amen, saints? Amen. That's true. And when Alexander killed his friend, who was flirting with his wife, he suspected, his last words to him was, fiend, you must die. And he took the knife and he stuck it in his back. Judas really did betray Jesus in the garden. And he didn't call him fiend. He called him friend. Interesting contrast there. Now, notice in your Bibles, we got to move on. Look at verse 8 again. The great horn, notice in verse 8, was broken, and four horns came up together or towards the four winds of heaven. And in other words, the, the, the empire here in chapter, in chapter 8, verse 8, the empire splits in four, if you're taking notes. It splits in four. The four horns speak of four generals. Now, again, all of this is history. Just get your Encyclopedia Britannica out or your 
programs or whatever, and you can find all this stuff. The, the four horns speaks of four generals. Cassander, who took over Europe. Uh, 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 Lysimachus, who, who took over Asia Minor, which is known as uh, Turkey today. Ptolemy, who took over Egypt. And Seleucus, very important, we'll come back to this. Seleucus, who took over Syria, Babylon, and Media. Now, we'll come back to that in just a second about Seleucus. But look at verse 9, if you will. And out of one of them came a little horn, underline that, very important, which grew exceedingly great toward the south, toward the east, and toward the glorious land. That would be Israel. Jerusalem. And it grew up to the host of heaven, and it came down some of the most, some of the host and some of the stars to the ground and trampled them. And he even exalted himself as high as the prince of the host, and by him the daily sacrifices were taken away, and the place of his sanctuary was cast down. Because of transgression, an army was given over to the horn to oppose the daily sacrifices, and he cast truth down to the ground. He did all this and prospered. Then I heard a holy one speaking, and another holy one said to that certain one who was speaking, how long will the vision be concerning the daily sacrifices and the transgression of desolation or now I give it to you early the abomination of desolation we'll talk about it in a minute how long will the vision be the giving of both the sanctuary and the host to be trampled underfoot and he said to me in verse 14 for two thousand three hundred days, then the sanctuary shall be cleansed. Now, stop right there. Remember last week, if you were with us, last week we saw a little horn. Very important to listen very closely here. Last week we saw a little horn in chapter 7. And the little horn in chapter 7, we talked about this, represents the Antichrist, the world ruler in the end times. The little horn in this chapter is different than in chapter 7. The little horn in chapter 7 now, if you are here, you know, came out of 10 nations and 10 horns. The Antichrist. This little horn comes out of four horns of Alexander and comes out of the Seleucian Empire and is a picture, illustration, or foreshadowing of the Antichrist. You see, this, there, there's this little horn to come in the last days, in the tribulation. But this little horn has to come in this chapter and will expand his borders and moves to the glorious place. The glorious land is a reference, as I said, to Israel, the land of milk and honey. Now, if you were around, now again, you've got to listen to me. If you were around in the book of Isaiah, we talked about many Bible prophecies have a dual fulfillment or a near fulfillment and a far fulfillment. Many Bible prophecies. Many prophecies deal with a present application, and at the same time, they look down the corridors of time prophetically and speak to the end times. Now, there's, there, there is this little horn to come down the quarters of time, the Antichrist, 
during the tribulation. But this little horn in chapter four has to come also. So you've got a nearer fulfillment and a distant fulfillment here as it relates to this little horn. So then who, Rodney, is the little horn? Last week, the little horn was Antichrist in the far fulfillment, in the nearer fulfillment. Who is the little horn, Rodney? The little horn in the nearer fulfillment is known as Antichus Epiphanes. He was the leader of the Babylonian area from 175 B.C. to 164 B.C. And this guy makes the Antichrist in the distant fulfillment look like a Boy Scout. This guy is brutal. He liked to call himself Antichus Theos, which means God is manifested. He liked to say I am God manifested. The Jews called him Antichus Epimanus, which means Antichus the madman. They had their own name for him. This guy was insane. If he caught the Jews worshiping, he had the, this big frying pan that looked like a big wok. And if he caught the Jews worshiping, he would put them in the frying pan and just burn them and fry them. He hated Jews. He did some horrible, horrible things. He was demonically inspired. He claimed to be God. He built a statue of himself. He put uh, in, in the Jewish temple this statue of himself. The Jews revolted at that time. He killed 40,000 of them immediately. And then within a month, he killed about a million more. In verse 10 of this chapter, notice, look at in verse 10, he cast down the stars of heaven. Now, what does that mean? I have no idea what that means. Moving right along. Look at verse 12. He cast down. I'm not going to tell you what it means, but I don't know what it means. I'm not going to like act like I do. And uh, But look at verse 12. I, I think I do know what this means, all right? Y'all like, man, pastor, if you don't know, we're all in trouble. Uh, look at verse 12. He cast down truth. In other words, and this is huge. Did you see that? He cast truth down to the ground. In other words, he outlawed the study of the Bible, and the study of scrolls, if you will. If anyone was found studying the scrolls, they were placed on a corkscrew and it was twisted up into their bodies. This guy would take their babies and kill them and then hang their dead babies around the mom and dad's necks until the babies decayed around the parents' necks. I'm not trying to gross you out. I'm trying to help you with history to paint for you a picture that this guy in the nearer fulfillment represents the little horn, the Antichrist as well. On September 6, 171 B.C., Antichus, or Antiochus, some people call him, he took pig's blood, he smeared it all over the temple and all over the altar, and then he forced the priest to drink the pig's blood. 
He was a madman, and that's why he's called the little horn, just like the Antichrist is called the little horn, because he does exactly what the Antichrist is going to be doing. In the last days, we are very clear. If you've been around here in in our study in Revelation or anything that we've done prophetically, we are very, very clear that in the last days, the Antichrist is going to commit what is known as the abomination of desolation or the abomination which causes desolation. What is that, Rodney? In the tribulation period, the Antichrist is going to make an image of himself and he's going to set that image up just like Antichrist. He's going to set that image up in the temple. And then he's going to take pig's blood and sprinkle it all over the temple and desecrate the temple, cause people to worship, cause the whole world to worship the image of, In the temple, the image of himself. We'll talk more about the abomination of desolation in Daniel chapter 9. You don't want to miss that. But he's going to destroy all religious writings. In the tribulation, get this, you will not be able to own a Bible. Now, I tell you that, and I mean this, and I'm certainly not being funny. I tell you that because should you be here during the tribulation, I should hope that every person in this room will not be here for the tribulation. You don't want to be here for the tribulation. Some folks tell me, I don't care if I'm here for the tribulation. Yes, you do. You're just stupid right now. (laughs) You know what I'm saying. You you just don't get it, but you you will. You don't want to be here for the tribulation. It's going to be terrible. But should you be here, If you are here, well, then know this. During the tribulation, you won't be able to carry a nice little leather Bible. And wear all your Jesus shirts. You know, because just because people carry a Bible and wear a Jesus shirt does not mean they're a Christian. You understand? Just because I stand at McDonald's doesn't make me a bag of fries. Make me a happy meal. I'm happy, but I'm not a meal. So if you're here during the tribulation, you won't be able to open and read your Bible openly. Let's just say that. You'll be outlawed. You know, it's almost like in this text, God is saying, you know, if you think Antiochus Epiphanes is bad in, in the tribulation, it, you know, it, it's just going gonna, gonna to get worse and worse. And this guy is bad. And it's just going to get worse and worse and more is coming down the pike. Look at look at verse 13 again in your Bibles. Six years later, December 25th, 165 B.C., five brothers decided to fight against Antichus and they launched an attack and others joined in with them. If you know your history, you know this is the Maccabean revolt. And they drove Antichus out of the land of Jerusalem. 2,000, get this, and you want to hear something that just blow your mind? 2,300 days to the day, the Jews cleaned up the blood that was shed in the sanctuary. They relit the candles and the people celebrated. Today, this celebration is known as Hanukkah, the Feast of Dedication or the Feast of Lights. You'll find that in John chapter 10. Go read that in your own time. So Daniel asked, how long will this desolation last? The Lord says, 2,300 days and the sanctuary will be clean. And it was 2,300 days, September 16th, 171 B.C. to December 25th, 165 B.C. 
2,300 days to the day that they cleaned the temple, just like God said. Prophecy is amazing. Amen, saints? Now, this whole thing about 200 or 2,300 days, a lot of controversy, a lot of different opinions about it, a lot of speculation about this. Particularly, in the 1800s, there was a man by the name of William Miller. William Miller was a great guy. He was a Baptist preacher. Y'all can tell I'm getting my accent right down here in North Carolina, ain't I? I said Baptist. Did you hear me? I said Baptist. Then when I first got here, I said Baptist. Baptist? Now I say Baptist. He was a Baptist. If I'm getting it, North Carolinian, say amen. Thank y'all. I'm working on it now. Become all things all men. Might win some. So he was a Baptist preacher and um, great guy. I'm sure he was sincere, but I think in this case he was certainly sincerely wrong. So what he did was, talking about these 2,300 days, he said if you calculate from 475 B.C. and count 2,300 years, he counted the days as years. And said, if you count from 475 B.C. and count 2,300 years, that Jesus would return in 1843. When that date set, wrong, when that didn't happen, he recalculated and said it would happen in 1844. Then there was a lady by the name of Ellen G. White, and 9,000 followers put on white robes. They went and stood up on a hill, and they waited, and they waited, and they waited, and you guessed it, they waited, and nothing happened. Jesus didn't come back. So they came down, and they reworked the calculation, and Ellen and William said, what had happened was Jesus came back in the heavenlies, that this actually all took place spiritually, they said. And from this, this movement that came out of this is today known as, do you know, the Seventh-day Adventists. Very interesting. So what does that tell us? Don't date set. People want a date set. People have always wanted to date set. People want to jump on the bandwagon. There was a guy by the name of Edgar Wisnet, and he wrote the book, 88 Reasons Why Jesus is Coming in 1988. When Jesus didn't come in 1988, he wrote the sequel book, 89 Reasons Why Jesus Didn't Come in 1989. Why is he coming in 1989? And then when that didn't happen, we never heard from him again. I'm thinking maybe Jesus came for him. <laughs> That's enough of that. So that, could I, would you indulge me for a second? Let me give you one reason why Jesus didn't come back. Because Jesus said, no man knows the day nor the hour. Hello. Stop it. 
folks, stop. Jesus said nobody knows. And if, if he says nobody knows in the Greek language, you know what that means? You're all Greek scholars. I knew it. I, I've been doing a good job for nine years. You're all Greek scholars. And then, of course, you remember Y2K. Oh, what a fiasco. You remember that? People were freaking out. People were asking me, Pastor Rodney, aren't you going to address the church and teach us and prepare us for Y2K? And I said, no. They said, no, what kind of pastor are you? A good one. You count on that. No, I'm not going to address. And then, of course, people went out and they, they bought generators and they bought beans and sandbags and guns and dug hills. And I read where people were like preparing, thinking that the whole world was coming down and people were going to be raping and pillaging and robbing and all of this stuff. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch and Calvary Chapel Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. You may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccary.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light.